Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Phanthropological, the podcast that covers the breadth of human fandom. My name is Nick G, and today we're going to be talking about Beyblades. Here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. Beyblade! Beyblade! Let it rip! Let's fight an epic battle! Face off and spin the metal! No time for doubt now! No place for backing down. They use Beyblades in West Side Story? <laughs> uh, yeah, they had a lot of beatniks, right? And Nick Z. We're just here talking about my bay. <laughs> <laughs> Never have you quipped with such concision. And conviction. <laughs> they are called bays sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> in numerous of the videos that I watched, Preparing for this episode, they were referred to as bays, and I was a little sad, but I'm not part of the community, so hey. That's fine. Maybe they can uh, get the soundtrack on some sweet nil. What? No. <laughs> no. I understand where you're going, and I reject that categorization. <laughs> Can't use the Zaw naming convention for everything. I guess not. Cool. No. Well, speaking of rejection, let's go way back to when we were kids. Ah! And let's talk about our first impressions of Beyblade, the anime or the manga or whichever of those things. Well, if we were to go all the way back to when we were kids, at least I see myself as a kid, that'd be too far. Because my first impression of Beyblade was it was the anime that my younger brother watched. And it was not necessarily a ripoff of, of Pokemon or Digimon or anything like that, but it was like the second wave of that kind of collect them up to battle them up sort of shonen story yeah i had a similar thing it was the first one i remember being like oh they're still doing this stuff <laughs> like that birth of cynicism yeah. kind of thing it was like yeah pokemon whatever Yu-Gi-Oh, whatever monster rancher i guess and then beyblades happen and i'm like oh it's just like another marbles or pogs or crazy bones <laughs> oh crazy bones <laughs> never understood what crazy bones were about but it just seemed like another (laughs) you know physical thing to collect and fight though they weren't part of my growing up at all they were just after yeah and i think that makes sense because the problem with a lot of these shows is they're targeted at folks like 8 to 13 or something like that Mm -hmm. and then i have a really hard time pegging down when that was in my life yeah Mm -hmm. So I'll get into this in Fandom Facts in a bit, but it came out in the early 2000s. So I have to actively remember what was happening at that point in time. And for me, that was, I think, the beginning of high school. Yeah, that sounds right. At which point in my history of anime watching, I think Monster Rancher, Pokemon, Digimon are all things that had come even potentially just before. Mm -hmm. Yu-Gi-Oh! was potentially just before Beyblade. But I like I'd have to like lay them out on a timeline to tell. My first impression of Beyblade was not a positive one. As a kid, to be honest, I thought it was like the dumbest thing. <laughs> I wasn't like partially entering that cynical stage of leaving, I don't know, childhood. I was just full on. I thought it was dumb. <laughs> and probably because I'd grown out of it. Probably because I was like 15 or 16 or something when it had come to television. So I was like, yep, done with this. And I think for me in particular, even though I liked Yu-Gi-Oh, which 
probably same time period i think in particular was because it's like oh they're fighting tops but the tops are magic (laughs) and if you're gonna have magic then why use tops you can use literally anything it's true i mean i don't know if it was magic it was like the skill of the no it was bit beasts it was magic creatures (laughs) that were like pets that inhabited the the beyblade it was really the pokemon archetype just with tops yeah so i thought it was dumb then and Mm. spoiler i might think it's still a little dumb now but i'm willing to set that aside because i honestly don't know what there is to it yeah i think at this point i was i was moving on to uh like a tenshi muyo or a love hina or something like that i think that's where i was going anime wise i was sort of leaving the shonen stuff that was available on tv and Sort of buying very expensive DVDs. <laughs> Part of that hasn't changed. <laughs> That's true. My hobbies don't cost me less now. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to kick us off a little bit with some background on Beyblade. Because we've been talking about the first impressions of it. But mm-hmm. you may not know what it is. Because it was in some ways a phenomena. And in other ways just maybe not. From Wikipedia, Beyblade, known in Japan as Explosive Shoot Beyblade, is a Japanese manga series written and illustrated by Takao Aoki to promote sales of spinning tops called Beyblades. So this is something that I did not know. It was deliberately made to promote the toys. Mm -hmm. The series focuses on a group of kids who form teams with which they battle one another using Beyblades. Okay, Wikipedia. That's a little (laughs) If we get some attention on the uh, Wikipedia entry for Beyblade, everyone... (laughs) An anime adaptation, also titled Beyblade, and spanning 51 episodes, aired in Japan on TV Tokyo from January 8th, 2001 to December 24th, 2001. The second series, Beyblade V-Force, was January 2002 to December 2002. And the third series, Beyblade G-Revolution, was from 2003 in January to December of 2003, so almost a year. Hmm. I was trying to figure out if that was it for Beyblade or if it had continued on in some way, shape, or form. And it has. The Even though the series only aired from 2001 to 2003, a sequel, Beyblade Metal Fusion, premiered in 2008 and ran till 2012. A Japanese-Canadian spin-off, and you're going to love this, everybody. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> that was commissioned by Nelvana called Bay Wheels with a Z. Oh, God. Was it about cars? I think it was just another Beyblade-esque thing, but I didn't actually look into it. Give me two seconds. Oh. They look suspiciously like Beyblades, so I don't know. Interesting, interesting. That aired in 2012. Another sequel, Beyblade Burst, ran from 2016 to 2017, but the manga is still ongoing from 2016 to the present. Oh, wow. So my famous last words from last episode were, is it still going? The answer is yes. Somehow, yes. (laughs) Still and also again. (laughs) That's probably a better way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. This fandom fact that I have is a little bit less surprising. Beyblade Let It Rip, the official album, was released in the UK to coincide with the show's popularity. It featured the anime's opening theme as well as songs by artists including Nickelback and Busted. (laughs) What? Who are Busted? I don't know. (laughs) Being here in the Great White North, we're intimately familiar with Nickelback. While they're on a UK release uh, celebrating Beyblade, it is unknown, but they're like, hey guys, you want $500,000 or whatever? (laughs) They're like, yeah, okay. (laughs) 
was something like that. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of lumped it into the the Pokemon kind of to be a master kind of album. Yeah. It sounds like <laughs> that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. I looked at Google Trends and it's a really weird looking graph. From 2004, Beyblade lost interest and then there is a gigantic spike in 2010 for a year or two, which I think coincides with the release of Metal Fusion in North America maybe. Mm. It dropped not too long after that, and then it's been slowly on the rise ever since. But still not as popular as in 2004. Hmm. And as far as fandom facts go, that's pretty much all I've got for this week. All right. All right. I have the basic feel of it from a ground level. I believe my famous last words were how much of the fandom is like the physical battling of the Beyblade part, and how much is like the anime. And surprisingly a lot is the beyblade part the first thing i watched was a little clip from a somewhat local place in toronto anc games mm. holding a uh, beyblade tournament so i just got to see some clips there and there's a lot of emphasis placed on the beyblade still which makes sense now that i have a better than no understanding of it <laughs> <laughs> i just thought they were just like little tops like little plastic tops that were in a top shape and you just spun them in arena. I'm like, what's the point? It's basically random. <laughs> you just spinning a top with like a little plastic wall. But no, it's basically cars for kids because there's different parts you can get yeah. and different, you know, categories of parts and different ways that the parts modify how the top works yeah. and length of rip cord <laughs> and like style of ripping and like, Beyblades are actually pretty cool, man. <laughs> I, thought, I honestly thought it was pretty cool that you could construct them in a custom way and there are like different types or different strategies you can do based on the pieces used to put them together. Yeah, it's it's wild how sort of complex they are because I also had no idea until I really started to look into it just what they were. Like, I, I was pretty sure they weren't just plastic tops, but... I had no idea that they almost always came in these separate parts and like you could interchange some parts and like you said, customize them to be maybe defense heavy or attack heavy and that kind of thing. It was really kind of fascinating to read about and also just interesting that there's so much to it when, you know, you have this anime that seems to be more sort of the meat of the fandom, but it actually legitimately is these toys which have lasted as long as the, as the, the series because they keep coming out with new lines. Z, I really appreciate that you put so much research into it for this week because I would not have dug nearly as deep as you did. <laughs> and it gave a really nice impression of like giving that overview of what a Beyblade is because I was in a similar camp to, to G. It's like a single piece. And what I wanted to see after learning that, you know, there's the top, the frame, the metal, and the driver. <laughs> what I wanted to see was, obviously, the next step is someone has taken all these parts all these combinations and like done a bunch of data analysis on it, right? Sure. Like you can buy toys and they'll say, oh yeah, this is a rating for stamina or whatever, but somebody has got to like independently verify that data, right? Yes. Well, yes, but also no, I couldn't find anything like that. And I was for a fandom that I'm not going to say that the anime and manga weren't influential because they mm -hmm. were there. I, in a bunch of the reading that I, I did, people got very attached to like the, the main character, Ty, and um, some of the other main characters from the original series. 
but a lot of it focused on the tops. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, for all this emphasis on the tops, why hasn't somebody crunched the numbers? I did do some digging into it. I don't, I feel like, uh, I feel like on the one hand, there's no sort of hidden Harry Potter-esque Beyblade world out there. It's maybe at deepest a very intense hobby, like collecting and painting miniatures or, or something like that. But like, I get the, the impression from what I read on message boards and in and, and articles that the fandom maybe isn't as interested in the data. Not that there's like a sense that, oh, you know, it's the, the heart of the cards. It's the heart of the Beyblade. But like, there's so much of an emphasis on the fun of it that if there is anybody out there who's done like a hard analysis to say that this combination is going to get you the best attack results this combination is going to get you the best defense results this one's going to get you the best stamina results whatever it's just not really something that a lot of the other people in the fandom are looking for i think there's too many variables Hmm. in the actual play to make anything a sure thing that's true that's true but that doesn't stop like smash players from analyzing every single aspect and making tier lists (laughs) Hmm. maybe they're worse (laughs) Maybe they're just worse. <laughs> How have we not covered Smash players? <laughs> Man, the very first episode. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, technically. Technically, technically, technically. Mm. Yeah, that that is weird that they're not like graded and rated like, you know, like you were picking a cart Mario card, for example. Yeah. I mean, there is a sense that you can buff out a Beyblade to be more attack. There's a Fire Emblem style weapons tree here where defense beats attack, attack beats stamina, and stamina beats defense. So, I mean, the fact that that information is in articles like five tips every pro blader needs to know, you know, suggests that it's something that's fairly widely understood amongst the players of Beyblade. So, I think people are aware of different pieces having different properties, but maybe it just doesn't come down to numbers for them. Like, Maybe it doesn't need to be as quantified as saying, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, this piece, this defense piece, is going to give you a plus 5. This defense piece over here is going to give you a plus 8. It's just like, this is good defense. You have a bunch of pieces that are defense, so your Beyblade is now a defender, as they say. Yeah, and I mean, it is largely combinatorial, so like... Particular rating would obviously depend on the different parts. Yeah. But I'm just I'm just a little bit surprised. I was also like, how long has this gone on? And, you know, what are the innovations in Beyblade tech? And there have been some. Mm-hmm. They used to be purely plastic. Mm-hmm. Then they introduced metal elements. And now very recently, they've introduced the burst element, which somebody had mentioned not only makes the game more exciting, but it makes it feel a little bit more like the anime. Because occasionally when you your Beyblade interacts with the other Beyblade it'll actually just like burst open. Yeah. And they've actually included that in the rules now so that, you know, you might get one point if you knock it out or one point if the other one stops spinning, but you'll get two points if you get the other opponent's Beyblade to burst into its constituent parts. Yeah. I think that's actually genius. (laughs) If you remember Robot Wars or Bot Wars or whatever the hell it was called. Oh, man. It was on Spike TV (laughs) around the time Beyblade was on. Robots would just fight each other until one was, like, destroyed. (laughs) So building in, like, controlled damage Mm. so that 
something can signal your defeat, but at the same time, it looks really cool. <laughs> That's sort of genius. And yeah, it does make it more exciting. I didn't know I didn't know that was going to happen the first time I watched it. And I was like, what? <laughs> you just <laughs> destroyed that guy's Beyblade. Yeah, you're you're expecting it to like fall over or stop yeah. or like get knocked out. But then it's just like, tink, tink, tink. <laughs> the best are when two people would launch them and then they'd both immediately burst. <laughs> wow. Something surprising to me as well was, it seems like it's a f- reasonably affordable. Like whenever I think about kind of collect all games, I think of Pokemon trading cards or Yu-Gi-Oh! Or, or Magic. Magic's a better example where you have to spend a lot of money to be good. And it seems like you don't have to do that. You can have a lot of fun with just like, fairly inexpensive Beyblades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the customizability is like really the thing. And that's stuff I love. Because in theory, like there might not be enough to say that every Beyblade is unique, but you can certainly have a style. My style in Mario Kart and Wave Race is the guy who can turn on a dime. <laughs> that's how I... Because I don't use brakes ever. So that's how I... <laughs> that's the kind of character that I use. Some people may be more of a Bowser persuasion. Where you're all top speed. Mm-hmm. But uh, the idea of like suiting your Beyblade around the style and I guess way you launch and stuff like that is uh, is like would draw me in. Yeah. But at the same time, those articles that are full of tips for pros often mention observing your opponents and picking, and I guess this is where some of the collection aspect comes into it, picking the appropriate Beyblade to... Uh, combat your opponent's blade and you know watching their launch and trying to launch at an angle that will maybe take them out right off the get-go yeah or in a strategy that hadn't occurred to me at all until i was reading about it (laughs) you could have your top spin a different direction than their top i was just about to bring that up (laughs) you can control what they spin left or right Man. Like, that sounds super dumb <laughs> when I say it, Yes, but that it didn't occur to me before we started doing this episode is just kind of, like, sad. <laughs> you know what? You guys fought in the middle, going in opposite directions, and that didn't work for you, so now you just have yours chase the other person's Beyblade around. <laughs> <laughs> well, even even that tiny little little addition of having it spin the opposite way, that really adds into the physics of the game, too, right? And that's something that people cited as what made it more interesting than just throwing a few tops into an empty tub and seeing which one fell over first in the article let it rip how beyblades are teaching my son science hey the author talks about how his sons were invited to a birthday party that was like based around beyblades and he's like it was fun to see the boys attempt to launch into different sections of the stadium see what would happen i saw kinematic physics at work here conservation of angular momentum centrifugal force friction and gravity are all in play during a battle obviously they're not talking about it in that way they're talking about like what happened to the beyblade but it's certainly a admittedly more fun way than playing pool yeah about physics in a game form (laughs) because there are so many variables yeah and i don't know if we want to go there yet but like that complexity of just the game itself is enough for and i believe it already came up even just in passing for there to be tournaments for people to get together and compete on not just a a local like city level but a national level even an international level yeah so i want you to tell me a bit more about the z because you had come across 
I believe it is the, what is it? World Beyblade Organization. Yes. And I dug a little bit and didn't get a lot of information. I went to their about page. Uh, they're like, oh, we've got over 700 tournaments and over 1.3 million members. And I'm like, members? But it's not members. It was posts. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that doesn't tell me anything. <laughs> like, you've got one person who's very vocal. You'll get lots of posts. Yeah. And I want to know if you found out more about how big the Beyblading scene is. When can I watch nationals? When can I watch internationals? When is it coming to the Olympics? Oh, man. Well, I'll tackle those perhaps in a little bit of reverse order by talking about the Olympics first. Apparently, there have been a few petitions over the years to get Beyblade into the Olympics. Oh, guys, come on. (laughs) Just a slight digression here. Okay. First of all, it's not a sport, so don't try to have it in the Olympics. But... There's something better. Oh? Have you ever seen Premier League darts? No. It is the most insane thing. (laughs) It's obviously a British thing. Super British. I think I have. It's where they have the camera set up on the stage, which is quite tiny. Yes. And you're not trying to get the bullseye. You're trying to get the 20. You're trying to get triple 20. Yeah, 20 is the most points. There are fans 50 deep. Yeah, just drinking, having a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Like... Like all these all these dart stars come down the aisle and there's fans going back for miles ah. and miles. Not little not literally no. miles. But they have signs, they're dressed up, they're cheering, they're going crazy when only the person in the front row can even see them throw a dart <laughs> at the dartboard. <laughs> and everyone looks like your best friend's dad from the eighties. But, like, people are insane for it. I even, I even think some of the people playing darts would have a beer in one hand or something like that. That is what Beyblade should aspire to. <laughs> that's better than the Olympics. <laughs> I'm on board. I don't know. The Olympics. That's the Olympics. But, I mean, you might be right. Beyblade might be better suited for uh, for various bars. And to continue, to continue on this digression, actually, um, over the years... 2017 and again in 2019 in the Ikebukuro area of Tokyo there was a themed bar around Beyblades that opened up in 2017 I think it was only open for a month because they cited getting 6,000 visitors over the course of January Hmm. and then it opened up again in 2019 as a part of the celebration of the 20th anniversary of Beyblades from March to April so it's closed now unfortunately but this bar featured on-theme mixed drinks, TVs playing the anime, and a bunch of Beyblades and stadiums that were available for people just to borrow or rent or what have you to enjoy a fine game of Beyblade. The petition that you mentioned, Z, one of the petitions got, it looks like, almost 6,000 people signed off, yep. which, you know, is nowhere near the almost 15, almost 1.5 million for the Game of Thrones rerun. Ah! topical don't get me started (laughs) (laughs) so i don't think they're anywhere near getting to the olympics and as we discussed maybe maybe the olympics isn't really the place that it belongs premier league beyblade (laughs) premier league (laughs) even on the world beyblade organization's own forums in the thread where you know people were trying to get this petition out there a lot of people were saying it doesn't really fit it's not a sport it's more of a hobby you know that kind of thing there's not necessarily a cynicism about it on the on the thread, but uh, a certain realistic outlook, I would say. 
So maybe not the Olympics. Worlds. As far as I know, the uh, World Beyblade Organization. I'm not sure if they've done any global tournaments themselves, but I do know that in 2004, 2012, and in 2018, there were world championships that started with nationals, and these tournaments were organized by Hasbro, partially, you know, as promotion for the Beyblade series. I think in each instance, a new series of the anime was being released in those years, or a new line of the toys, and they seemed to, to get a lot of interest, a lot of coverage. Contestants had to be between 8 and 13. Canada made it, uh, I believe, to the finals of two of them. Actually, in 2012, because the tournament was delayed slightly, it was originally going to be at New York Comic Con, but instead it wound up happening in Toronto, of all places. Hey. Yeah. In 2018, though, the most recent world championship, it happened in Paris as part of Kid Expo on November 3rd, where representatives from Latvia, Taiwan, Canada, the US, Brazil, Vietnam, Singapore, and Korea came together to determine the world's best Beyblader. Canada's Zeno did not make it, unfortunately. Semi-finals, fourth place, I believe. Instead, the winner, would either of you care to guess who that might be? Philippines. Okay. I'm going France. Hometown advantage. Not France, not the Philippines, but Latvia. Oh, dang. Latvia's own balanced defender won the day. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So looking at uh, at these results... And looking at the people who made it into the finals, especially in 2018, I feel like there's a great deal of, of interest in these tournaments. But I mean, going through the World Beyblade Organization's site and kind of peeking into a few of the profiles, it also seems like the people organizing things, you know, they've got their own lives going on. I don't know that there is any full-time position for Beyblade tournament officiant <laughs> out there or tournament organizer. You're telling me there's not a Mr. Referee of Beyblade? I don't think so. Ah. Uh. That needs to change. <laughs> Got my secret metabot love committed in this episode. <laughs> Who? What? <laughs> yeah, so to very briefly answer my famous last words, there have been world championship tournaments, and currently Latvia's balanced defender is the world champ. Man. Yeah. Got an attacker in there? No. <laughs> yes. No. Stamina. Right? Um, yes. Yes. But if I know that you're going Defender, and you know that I know that you're going Defender. <laughs> oh, man. One thing that I was kind of blown away by was actually in this article from Salon.com talking about, I think it's a father's experience with their, their child and, like, their interest in Beyblade. And something that was surprising to me was how much of it is about the feel of the game in a world where so many games are like point and click or you're on your phone and you like diddle around with it. Beyblades are very hands-on. They're, mm. they're also very aggressive by comparison. Like you can say that Pokemon fighting is aggressive or like Pokemon trading cards or magic or Yu-Gi-Oh or whatever, but it's not really because they're like two fictional things. They don't really fight, but Beyblades are like hands-on. You snap all the pieces together. You like rip on the cord these two tops duke it out in a little arena and they smash and bash and hopefully don't just fall over because that's real boring. 
And I guess I grossly underestimated the appeal of the physicality of the game. Yeah. Yeah. It's like real things really fighting. I mean, just reacting to physics, but like, it looks like combat. Yeah. Yeah. Like the real tangible things. Yeah. I also learned that there are RC Beyblades and... Oh, really? Yeah. This one seemed like it was getting rocked. Hmm. The RC part mostly seems to be it has a motor inside it that you can control via your phone. Oh, wow. Oh, neat. Yeah. It was getting destroyed every match that it played. But it was just neat because, yeah, you think, okay, the top falls into the arena and they smack it up. But, like, sometimes it looks like, yeah, they're, like, circling around the other top and until they finally, like tap and then the one like swings out and then it comes back and it's like oh wow it really feels like they're doing things like Mm -hmm. that they're acting of their own volition rather than just results of the initial conditions feels like strategy yeah feels like (laughs) yes feels like the illusion of strategy (laughs) i mean much can be said about the illusion of choice and Mm, in this case it is choices but like not choices that you can make during the game choices that you can make beforehand i suppose and some elements of randomness. Yeah, especially if you get into the stadiums, and apparently there are stadiums that have, like, ruts in them for Beyblades to, to run along, and, like... Ooh. Oh, weird. That'd be fun. Oh, you get a little you get a little stamina boy going in there? You get him, in <laughs> like, stuck in a spot where he's just stuck spinning, <laughs> and so you have him defending the space and people coming at him? That'd be great. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. One of the things that I was hoping to find and it doesn't always come up, is fan data. I want to see fans analyzing other fans mm-hmm. or just giving a big broad strokes of like, who are the fans? What are they like? Because doing this job is almost impossible to get a sense of a fan of something. Even if you talk to somebody, you're only getting one perspective. Mm-hmm. And not that a, a survey gives you the end all be all, but it gives you like some really broad strokes that you can look at. But right now I couldn't tell you are Beyblade fans people who just play with the toys and by that i mean children or are they people who are adults who play with the toys or are they people who grew up with the anime or is it some other weird other group that i wouldn't have thought of like i don't know how like coca-cola fans are almost always older folks who are nostalgic yeah yeah i don't have anything official on that only my own uh experience with the threads again on world org. but my sense of it is that it's mostly people who watch the anime at some point who got on board while a child watching one of the different uh, variations of the anime. Although there was at least one post on the threads, there was a thread, are there any adult fans? And somebody had posted that they had zero uh, exposure to Beyblade until they were in their 20s, and it was introduced to them just sort of as a, a fun thing to do to pass some time and as a social activity. Yeah, yeah. So the majority is probably coming from the anime in some way, but then it seems like because there's that physicality to the actual game itself, to the hobby side of it, that also brings in people who may or may not have any past experience with the concept or idea of Beyblade. As you were saying that, I was thinking, is there a Beyblade video game? Could it capture the the heart of the anime and the answer is there are many beyblade games some as far back as the game boy color wow controversially i think it was the 2004 tournament international contenders from canada and one other country were determined by uh online beyblade games 
you just like played against the computer and if you had a high enough score you were entered into like a random pool of people that they picked somebody from rather than setting up in-person tournaments like they did in other countries just a little fun fact seems about as satisfying as virtual pinball <laughs> in a game where the physicality is is so important <laughs> i can see that being a bit of a problem yeah we talk about that article where that person is wearing four apple watches <laughs> They're wearing three on one arm, and then one on their other one, and then they have a Beyblade, which has its own device attached to it. Why? Okay. In tournament play, you're supposed to have three Beyblades with you. One of the Apple Watches is just, you know, for them. The other three are for each Beyblade. (laughs) What? Why does a Beyblade need an Apple Watch? They control them through the Apple Watches. What did it need before Apple Watches were invented? Seems very silly. They're just a, a legitimate time traveler, you see. This is all, all of a sudden became a very expensive hobby. Well, after Apple uh, takes over Hasbro, you know. Uh, oh, boy. I mean, it's pretty lucrative. It sounds like Beyblades are like the second most lucrative thing that Hasbro makes behind Transformers. Wow. Yeah. Wow, actually, yeah. yeah. It's really impressive. <laughs> Like, like from that Salon article, Battling Tops have spawned a burgeoning consumer fan base that generated $477 million last year for its global distributor Hasbro. That's over 11% of the toy giant's 2011 revenues, making Beyblade its second most lucrative brand, just behind robo-juggernaut Transformers, which generated $483 million. That's only a difference of $6 million. Oh. Hasbro makes, like, G.I. Joe, I believe. Hot Wheels. Uh, that sounds right. A few others. By the way, if you're into business wars, they did Mattel versus Hasbro not that long ago. Hey. That was a good one. After talking about Beyblade, I now have a better understanding of why that wedding planner, why their child was mm. so into Beyblade still, after considering that I thought it was done forever. <laughs> if there's a toy attached, oh, it's never done. I think it's time that we fall down, eat ground, and get back up again. Oh, man. (laughs) When we started this, I thought Beyblade was really stupid, because that's what I remember it being when I was 14 or 15 or whatever. I'm like, oh, that's kid stuff now. I'm beyond that. But, like, hearing about people who just got into it in in their 20s or whatever and are just kind of taken by the physicality of it and the physics of it, I totally kind of get that perspective. The anime is probably not something that's going to do anything for me at any point. But um, I was very surprised how how engaging I found the process of of fighting Beyblades. Like the customization and everything like that. And the strategic aspect of it, I really enjoyed. So if I was at like a con or something and and there was like casual Beyblade play, I'd definitely go up and and try it. Which is not something that I'd ever considered before. Hmm. Much more interested than it was before we did this episode. So uh, thumbs up for me. I was going to be lazy and just say same (laughs) or same mood, but to elaborate a tiny bit, I still want to know more about Beyblade fans. It still doesn't add up to me that spinning tops equals lots of fans and money. (laughs) Feels like there's a missing step. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Like, it seems neat. It seems neat to, like, connect all the bits and, and, like, have something that's highly physical, but it still feels like there's a lot that I'm missing. Like, I still don't understand why it's a phenomenon, and I want to know more, and maybe if I were to meet an avid Beyblader, I would have a better understanding of that. Mm -hmm. 
but I don't I don't know. I I would probably also give it a shot and I cannot deny that even though the opening theme to the original show is some like gnarly butt rock <laughs> I still love it. I've like seen maybe one episode total of the show but that opening is still real fun. Nice. Nice. I think the true mark of success for a toy whether it's a tie-in, standalone, whatever, is that it becomes central to one of the major dramas of a person's childhood. I found this article on Kotaku (laughs) about uh, two brothers who decided, you know, let's play Beyblade, not in this boring stadium, but in our bathtub. And, you know, Beyblades being at that point, I believe, more or less half metal, half plastic, pretty bulky stuff. They chipped away the enamel, they destroyed the soap dish, did pretty heavy damage. And if a toy can initiate a child into the larger socioeconomic realities of the world, I think that that means that that toy has transcended (laughs) being a simple plaything and become something more iconic. So uh, it's just so hard to, to write these things off now. I don't think there was ever a point where I thought like, oh, that's... That's dumb. That's stupid. Playing with these weird tops, whatever. But, like, I never thought that there was so much depth there. I never thought, even if it's all random, even if it's all just still chance and an illusion of strategy, the fact that there's that potential depth there and that people get so into it that they naively, innocently destroy a, a bathroom fixture by, by playing with these things. Yeah, it's it's just amazing to me what people have done. And I think to, to sort of give you a little little bit of direction if you wanted to do more research into this, okay. even though it's difficult research, look into the non-English speaking world. Ooh, that sounds hard. Because across my research, one thing that really stuck out was on a Reddit thread about why do you love Beyblade? And the user Penguin007 said, in non-English speaking communities, Kai is still praised for being the coolest character of our childhood. For those of you who maybe are not in the know, I got this through osmosis. Oh, I know who Kai is. Kai is the character. He's kind of like the Vegeta of the show. He starts out as kind of like this this badass villain guy, but then he turns into, you know, maybe a reluctant ally. He is, uh, I think his Beyblade spirit's the white tiger. He's got like stripes on his face and usually has like a scarf or some sort of article of clothing that looks like a tail but isn't quite so i think that there's probably a pretty good chunk of the fandom or at least of the collecting public outside of the english-speaking world as for myself if i'm at an anime convention and see some casual beyblade play going on i'll see if there's a spare that i can be spotted and who knows maybe i will be the world champion next it's time to battle, rope battle, till you dropped more metabots. <laughs> Definitely a little bit of a metabot bleed through into this podcast, I gotta say. This is like your Tales of Swan Song. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of metabots, at Fanthropological, we have not done an episode on metabots, but we've done an episode on lots of different fandoms, probably ones that you're interested in, and all of those are available for you to check out at fanthropological.com or on the podcatcher of your choice. While you're there, if you'd like to leave us a rating or review, that would be great. 
If you'd like to keep up with the podcast, you can find us at Phanthropological on Facebook and at Phanthropologic on Twitter. And if you'd like to know what just the three of us are up to, we are at the Knicks cast pretty much everywhere. And one of the things we're going to be up to uh, coming up this summer is the Race Against Time. That's right, G. The Race Against Time is our annual charity live stream, August 10th and 11th. But why would I say all these fancy words when we can have Luca do the talking for us? Begin energy transfer. Huh? The war fields seem to be affected by the pendant. Did I make it back? To that moment? There might still be time. On August 10th and 11th, join me at twitch.tv slash time. Join Chrono, Marl, Robo, Isla, Frog, me, Luca, and a whole cast of other folks from your world in a race against time to stop Lavos and raise money for the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. The Alzheimer's Society of Canada is dedicated to improving the quality of life for folks affected by Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, and advancing the search for its causes and cures. Every single cent we raise goes to them. Last year, we broke all of our old records and raised over $1,200. This year, for the Race Against Time, with new guests and new prizes, we want to raise $1,500. If we can all help out, history as we know it may be changed forever. Please visit raceagainsttime.io for more information about the race or to find out how you can be a part of a future that did not refuse to change. Now, how do I get back? I guess I shouldn't have tinkered with the telepod. Alright, so this season is going to get rounded off by three of our mini-sodes where we uh, just tackle sort of general questions in fandom and we argue with each other about the correct way to interpret that question for about... (laughs) 20 minutes or so <laughs> it usually it usually gets really deep really fast and we have have no way of pulling ourselves out but they're usually pretty fun so we have those to end the season and we would like to give a big thanks to thomas Meehan who suggested some of our topics for this season and um, probably some we're going to cover in the future so thank you very much for your feedback we do appreciate knowing what people want to hear from the show so the only thing that remains to say is thank you very much for listening everybody and until next time we'll talk to you next time featured on theme mixed drinks tvs playing the anime and a bunch of beyblades and stadiums that were available for people just to borrow or rent or what have you to enjoy a fine game of beyblade tell me one mixed drink oh man i just it the panzer dragoon (laughs) i'm just guessing here possibly possibly i didn't actually write any of them down a cancun tornado (laughs) is that a real Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, hmm. Hipster. Here we go. Maybe a spiral Capricorn. There we go. Or a Rock Leone or a Twisted Tempo. Now we're talking. Anything that vaguely fits the theme of spinning <laughs> is probably uh, probably fun. There was this article that I was reading from Salon.com called uh, Why Do Kids Love Beyblades? Mm-hmm. And the author of the article is... Uh, listening to his child and he says uh 
you know, my, my kid was rattling off a list of names that sounded alternately like indie bands or microbrews. (laughs) (laughs) The petition that you mentioned, Z, one of the petitions got, it looks like almost 6,000.